Hey everybody, welcome back to Knock It Off, our weekly podcast on all things real life and real time, adulting sprinkled with some motherhood. Brought to you by two unqualified and quirky moms with the hope that we help you feel less alone, or perhaps provide some entertainment value to say the least. This is Bethany Bell. I'm sister number two, mother of three, bringing you this week's episode, number 13. The other sister behind this thing is Kara Wood. She was at Disney this week, so I gave her the time off with the caveat that she best have some content to follow on that adventure. Without further ado, let's move on to this week's piece. How Taking Coffee Black Dropped the Freshman 15 and Beyond, A Lesson in Finding Contentment. Driving southbound on the way home from work last week, a sudden riding inspiration hit me. Fellow riders can attest, they oftentimes feel like little side pokes from the divine, telling us we need to write, paint, sing, or draw about it. The piece could fall flat on its face or enter the mysterious circulation of algorithms at just the right time, but we mustn't ignore the creative call. I was thinking about how I take my coffee, black, since nearly the beginning of our courtship back in 2004, and about how, for me, it's a spiritual practice amongst the madness of my everyday life. The majority of my acquaintances take coffee differently, which leads me to believe I'm amongst the minority that declines sugar or cream. My taste buds have become sharply attuned to any variation of the black cup of coffee. Discomfort stirs in my inside region when the drive-thru employee asks a second time if I want cream or sugar, as I suspect they have already added it when handing me the grande cup through the window. I now don't place the motor vehicle into drive until the first sip confirms no contamination. During a recent trip to Costco, I picked up a compelling historical book on the substance, as well as five other types of drinks that have shaped the formation of the modern world. According to A History of the World in Six Glasses by Tom Standage, coffee originated in the Arab world, possibly in Ethiopia or Yemen. One of the early stories of its discovery is described as an Ethiopian goat herder that observed his flock's odd behavior after they indulged in some berries from a coffee tree. Their zestful characteristics while consuming this mystery berry intrigued him, so he tried it himself. Following this experiment and the subsequent perky effects, he then turned the berries over to an imam, a person that leads the prayers in a mosque. The imam then concocted the earliest form of the cup of joe we know and love today. It grew as a favorite drink of the region, helping humans to stay awake during long overnight religious ceremonies. Standage reported that London, specifically, is quite famous for the coffee house, with multitudes of them popping up serving a variety of interests. The coffee house was the place to be to rub shoulders. The latest news? Gossip? Run, don't walk, to the nearest coffee shop. 
For those of you that yearn for a good British monarchy fact, Java and its subsequent gathering place, the Coffee House, played an interesting role in history during the reign of Oliver Cromwell, who ruled England after the execution of Charles I, which temporarily disassembled the monarchy. Legend has it that supporters of restoring the monarchy often met in the newly trending London coffee houses to discuss reinstating the monarchy with King Charles II, which, spoiler alert, did end up happening. As early as I can recall, my maternal grandmother, Bonita, would have a constant pot of black coffee warming on the burner. The best I could surmise, as a somewhat bright, but not quite gifted, young child was... Oh, that must be what old people drink, and thought nothing much of it. But I would quietly observe her walking to and fro the coffee machine for a refill in her porcelain mug of the day. She would sip constantly as she folded laundry, watching a soap opera. Sometimes, accompanying her steaming hot cup would be a slice of cake or a few cookies. Coffee and dessert, her mainstays. My parents never acquired a taste for the java juice, so I didn't come by it in a nurturing sense. Occasionally, when my mother would take us on our annual out-of-town shopping trip in California in preparation for the school year to begin, we would stop into these fancy new coffee shops called Starbucks. She was an early shareholder and liked to check in on her investments. Woe was her for selling her stock too early. I remember the fragrant aroma of the roasted beans as a confusing smell. I recall someone near me remarking, oh, I just love the smell of coffee, and wondering to myself if I felt the same way. Fast forward to the year 2004. I was 18 and terrifyingly had moved out of my parents' house and into an apartment with three friends in Tallahassee to attend Florida State University. The apartment, which was located in the same complex as my big sister, Kara's, was perched on one of the many hills in the city. At the base of this hill was a drive through Starbucks. Still, I did not partake immediately. Then, first semester exams hit. My best friend and college roommate at the time, whom I will lovingly refer to as Moo, picked me up from class as parking was atrocious and declared, Let's go to Starbucks. We need it. I remember lamenting to her that coffee made me nervous. It seemed to pack too strong of a punch. It was a little bold for my Mountain Dew taste. Huh? Don't worry, she replied. I know just the drink for you. She pulled her Mustang up to the ordering speaker. No, no computerized screen was available. It was the early 2000s, man. And effortlessly placed her order. Yeah, let me get uh, two grande white chocolate mochas. Perplexed, I inquired as to the ingredients. The answer I received was, just trust me. The standard recipe is 2% hot steamed milk, milk foam, four white chocolate mocha sauce pumps, whipped cream, and their signature espresso roast. Of course, the drink was delicious, warming, and provided that additional energy boost needed to grab me that B in statistics class I desperately needed in order to not sabotage my nursing school application. I was hooked. The drive-through white chocolate mocha became a habit for me in those formative fall months, 
A fair chunk of my allotted college direct deposited funds can be traced back to Starbucks financial books. I survived the semester despite an obscene amount of Moe's Southwestern Grill, Dew Cubes, Mountain Dew cleverly marketed in adorable little cubes that you could easily swipe and perch on the hip while it's headed to the checkout line. Publix potato salad, hot dogs, and Anheuser-Busch beer. Around Christmas time, I hopped onto the interstate and traveled the 10 back to Jacksonville, Florida to eat free during a liberal winter break. One day, I stepped onto the scale in the bathroom of my parents' house. There it was, an aggressive number staring back at my face. The freshman 20, I mean, er, 15. It was at that moment I realized I had become a statistic. An immediate review of circumstances commenced. My diet had never been great, but now it was really, really bad. See references above to calculate my approximate daily caloric intake. I no longer took part in consistent exercise of soccer practice plus games three to four days per week. Welp, I thought, best enjoy the rest of December. You've got some work to do. In a fortuitous turn of events, I was already enrolled to take freshman nutrition class that spring as part of my prerequisite lineup for nursing school. The serendipity of the situation was lost on me at the time. The first day, I walked into an auditorium-style classroom. As I was a self-declared statistic, I decided to take a seat in the back so as not to become a physical example as well. My ego may have been overdeveloped, but she was frail. The young professor walked in with a full plastic bag, took her position next to the classroom projector. If you were born within the last 20 years, stop here before you hurt yourself and Google it. And threw a pack of my favorite bag of chips on it. Reflecting on the wall in front of us was the nutrition label for said snack. She proceeded to figuratively rip the bag apart, painfully explaining with each designated category why it was a poor nutritional choice. I sat there, mouth agape and drooling, realizing my previous understanding of the world was fixing to be worked. She reached for the next offender in the bag. No, don't do it. Please, I thought to myself as I caught a familiar glimpse of a yellow-green glimmer label. The 20-ounce Mountain Dew. The critique intensified with the dew. I could hardly endure it, realizing parallel thoughts of loss and allurement. This liquid that had accompanied me throughout childhood in good times and in bad, forever lost to me now. But also, you're telling me that all I have to do is remove these major offenders from my diet and I'm back to my healthy weight? She had piqued my interest. I was considering the subscribe button. I thought the attack was driven home at that point. I thought she read the room and observed the visibly shaken students pining to be freed of the enlightening education. But no, not even close. She rummaged in the bag. I peered out over the sleeping kid in front of me to visualize the next victim. In her hand was a pre-made coffee drink from Starbucks. That's it, I think. I will not stand for this. But I did. I stayed there and continued to absorb her content as she tore apart the ingredients, the sugar, the amount of calories in this one drink. When class finally dismissed, I angrily stuffed my five-subject notebook, again, kids, look it up, into my bag and huffed out of the room.
I needed time to process this conundrum of converging realities. My world, as I knew it, had fundamentally changed. Over the process of the next few months, I began making changes to my diet. I started eating a light breakfast every day. I threw in the towel and the hot dogs, except for that occasional quick bite at the university football game. I drank a whole lot more water and a whole lot less Anheuser-Busch. I picked up running as a hobby, something I'd always done in soccer and happily realized I missed. I researched options at Starbucks, not yet ready to give it up, and found that I much enjoyed a non-fat latte. I could taste more of the actual coffee in that drink and really took to the flavor. Before I knew what was happening, my weight was dropping and I felt better than ever. Then I bought myself a coffee pot and began brewing it at home in the mornings as I prepared my fruit and English muffin with peanut butter and watched The Little Women, Winona Ryder version. As I poured the dark, smooth liquid, I decided I would try it black, straight, no additions. It may have seemed slightly bitter. I wasn't brewing a fresh Colombian batch delivered via monthly subscription of the latest and greatest. We're talking red Folger can vibes here. It may have tasted like absolute piss. I can't recall. Standage quoted coffee critics from the 17th century describing it as a syrup of soot or the essence of old shoes. But I only know what I know, and that is I have forevermore taken it black and have developed a passionate affinity for it. Because the adults in our household both drink their coffee sans additives, it does amount to humorous attempts to appease the occasional guest. I typically rummage in the bottom cabinet for a 15 pound bag of sugar I bought at Costco with the intent of baking and slam the sack down onto the counter with a plastic teaspoon. We then comment, hope you like almond milk, as we apologize that we don't carry creamer or dairy in the house. Unless there's a questionable carton left in the back of the fridge from a prior dinner recipe, they are welcome to smell before pouring. Being a guest at the Bell House is getting more tantalizing by the moment, yes? I recently listened to episode number 218 of the podcast, We Can Do Hard Things, with Glennon Doyle, Abby Wambach, and Amanda Doyle, lovingly referred to as sister. They were in conversation with Kelly Clarkson, exploring this exact notion of, how do we learn to want what we need? I thought, that's it, bingo. We begin with the most basic, rudimentary aspects of our lives. We examine a topic such as how we take our coffee. Do we need five tablespoons of sugar or that three packets of sweetener? Can I try it with half as much caramel macchiato infused oat milk? Perhaps a flirtatious pour instead of half a cup. It's a practice in reflection, heightening our awareness as to our daily choices and why we do what we do. We start with our morning cup, study it, observe ourselves. It may begin a subtle, albeit transformative, process. We may find ourselves preferring a different habit, craving for our lives to be structured in a new way, finally implementing changes our souls have been whispering to us we needed all along. It's a lesson in contentedness, gratitude. I have everything I need right in front of me. I now weigh 20 pounds less than my top weight from that freshman year. I'm lighter on my step, I'm in a much better, healthier metabolic state, and feel good about the way my body is sustaining, 
Despite the trials of being a highly sensitive person with three children and the fatigue that results from that overstimulation, I should expand on that more later. But you know what? I've come a long way since sipping the dew and stacking the white chocolate mocha Starbucks cups. I just ran my fastest time on the treadmill in Orange Theory class at the age of 37. I'm focusing a lot more on what makes me feel alive and less on what doesn't. I'm writing and reading consistently and practicing my terrible Spanish and dabbling on the keyboard piano. I rummaged up a children's book I wrote in 2020 about our sweet old Weimariner, Dookie, who passed away that year, and I'm looking into getting it illustrated. I have a family I'm blessed to be in relationship with and a handful of beloved friends that enrich my life in ways I could never do on my own. Insert rosé flowing with your chosen family, Taylor Swift lyrics, and a partner who gifts me with such a love that inspires me to show up authentically for him on the daily. And for that, I smile with tranquility into my steaming hot cup of black coffee. Okay, that wraps up this week's episode. I appreciate you guys listening to that uh, semi-memoir-esque piece there. Uh, Look forward to next week. We really do, as I think we might be hearing something along the lines of the theme park experience for the modern parent. Don't want to give too much away there, but uh, make sure you grab the popcorn for that one. Please be sure that you're subscribing at knockitoff.substack.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We should be there if you prefer to listen. If this podcast or these posts speak to you, we appreciate so much. If you give her a share, hit the like button, maybe give us a comment or two. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next week.